not in Kansas anymore. You have my curiosity. Are you telling me you built a time machine? The force will be with Welcome back to the Get Real Podcast, the podcast where we get real about all of our favorite pop culture films and TV show. And with me today is my preacher-loving brother, uh, Sam, and I, and Chris, your pastor for today. <laughs> Amazing. And what's that old sermon you got? <laughs> I'm about to preach to you about the film The Devil All the Time. The devil is in every single one of us. The devil all the time. That is to this week's episode very good i was not expecting to cover this on this week's episode and then we were just like oh yeah this film comes out and it looks really cool so yeah let's talk about it and it's got something where tom holland isn't spider-man which was quite exciting to be fair i know i was shook Shook, absolutely shook. <laughs> i was shook anyway yeah uh netflix's brand new film yeah we're gonna cover the devil all the time it's um yeah hit netflix on wednesday uh just uh, the wednesday before this episode went out so hopefully we're covering it nice and fresh hitting that seo right where it needs to to go um, you know what as of recording this i have not seen any review even up on youtube yet um i've seen a couple of endings explained um, oh. which i didn't think the ending really needed explaining i thought it was pretty cut and dry where it ended anyway we, um, we digress a little bit we'll yeah. we'll get on to that but first of all surprisingly we have got quite a little bit to talk about um i mean i just wanted to start off a little bit with a bit of a preamble uh with uh have you been watching anything good a, this week a Chris? yeah preamble uh, my favorite part of the show where we don't talk about anything to do with uh, anything relevant but have you been watching anything okay. new this week apart from the devil all the time um i've started watching modern family which is really funny i've never watched it before no like i i, I caught like four episodes sporadically when it first started airing but mm. we finally started watching it and it is pretty damn funny yeah it's pretty all right i don't think it i don't know i kind of tailed off a little bit with modern family I don't feel like yeah. it kind of holds its seasons very well as it starts to get towards the end. But yeah, it went on for a long time. I don't know if it will it can sustain itself for that long. Yeah, um, I don't know whether it sits we've there started it. with like Always Sunny. I think that I don't think it like is at that level. But yeah, no, it's right. it's it's not as creative as Always Sunny or The Office or something like that. Like it is a very basic premise and it's just sort of following the families isn't it so it's not it hasn't lent into any of that pure obscurity that like say the office us or always sunny yeah i always remember with modern family that it's got that weird kind of moments in the season when a new season starts and there's just this crazy age gap between the cast <laughs> yeah the kids are just aging all yeah the time. yeah especially the um the adopted daughter, oh um, Lily, yeah Lily, yeah she, she, she that age is just in it's insane, <laughs> absolutely insane. Yeah. Um, and I can't remember if I talked about it on a an earlier podcast, but a couple of weeks ago, me and the missus were watching Little Fires Everywhere. I'm not sure if I talked about it on the podcast. I know we spoke off podcast about it. I think we no, um, we spoke about this when we last saw each other. Actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. Your uh, um, your missus was so, like saying absolutely preaching it and explaining a little bit what it was about and it sounds pretty interesting yeah it is um so it's based off a novel it's on amazon prime in the uk it was on hulu in america and um, basically it's this very 
um, sort of privileged neighborhood in America and a young black family move into it. It's a single mother with a teenage daughter and they get mixed up in with a very privileged white family and it's sort of tackling motherhood and families and uh, white privilege and sort of stuff like that and pride and everything. Um, and it it's an oddly dark story for how like core the premise is. Like it, it like it is just like a slice of life uh, type show, but it does get rather dark with its themes. And um, Reese Witherspoon playing almost the antagonist of the series. She's like joint protagonist slash antagonist. And it's such a heel turn for it. She was fantastic mm. in it. Uh, the entire cast were amazing in it. I don't think there was any sort of weak performances. Ah, cool. cool. Even the kids were great as well. So uh, There's rumours that maybe they're trying to push for a second season, even though the story ended pretty well. Um, mm-hmm. And the sto- They did change the ending from the book, however, possibly leaving it open for a second season. So Cool. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, what have you been watching? Uh, I've started rewatching The Walking Dead from season oh. one. Yeah, I've been okay. chucking it on in the background whilst I've been pottering around, doing bits at home, just stuff like that. You know, late at night watching episode. Uh, I'm on like episode four of season one, so I've been taking my time with it. And yeah. the first season ages really well. Like, really well. I mean, the first... Still holds up. Yeah, the first season, season one through to, like, season three, I think is pretty pretty good. So, yeah, it's good. It's good. I totally forgot how it first started. I forgot, like, The Walking Dead starts off with um, pre-apocalypse stuff with uh, yeah, Shane, yeah. And, uh, Shane and Rick. And, yeah, it's pretty cool. Like, um, yeah, I'm kind of enjoying revisiting it, going back, uh, remembering bits and bobs, but not all, like, little bits of detail in between. Yeah, um, I guess it does, like, it's not really something that ages that much because, like, the world stops, it's an apocalypse, you know what I mean? So it's not like, so it feels like the world is just left, doesn't it? So it's not something that really dates itself oh, that much. no, no, but even um, in terms of, like, the zombies and stuff and the way that they look and the makeup and stuff, it's all really pretty spot on. One yeah. really funny thing I noticed about the first season, and obviously, you know, while the... While the pilot is, you know, the pilot's there and they're, they're wanting to just, you know, not go OTT and it's not got the crazy budget yet. It's quite funny how a lot of the zombies are just people wearing masks. And um, yeah. the ones <laughs> that the camera focus on are the ones that have got, like, the proper makeup. But then you can see that change, like, later in the uh, in the, in the series where you can see that they've had the budget for, like, a full makeup and prosthetics team. But yeah. in the beginning, there's just like in the background, it's just all the faces are just like clearly like really really weird masks. <laughs> but yeah, it's, yeah. Well, uh, they have got one of the best like prosthetic and makeup designers and gore designers like oh, in yeah. the business. Yeah, um, was it was it Greg Nicotero that did it? Um, no idea. But they also get a lot I, of I might um, have the name wrong. But he is like renowned in the horror industry yeah they also get a lot of cameo actors and stuff in the the background like i had no idea that one of the i totally forgot that when rick gets into the tank in like episode one uh it's sam witwer who is one of the zombies it, well the zombie yeah, that yeah, nearly yeah. nearly kills him uh with the in in the sack in the tank with the army uniform on and i was like Star no. killer himself yeah i was like no <laughs> way that's the voice of maul just really cool 
But yeah, yeah. awesome. Uh, yeah, so that's it really. I've not really watched much else apart from uh, the main topic for this episode and I've been waiting anxiously for The Boys every Friday. Um, oh, I know. I'm buzzing for a new episode tomorrow. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. So that'll be episode five for us. So I think uh, we're going to talk about that next week, aren't we? Yeah, I think we. I think what we'll do is we'll do a first impressions episode for yeah. the season two, where we can like talk a little bit about what happens in say the first season, so that if you wanted like a pickup of you know not knowing how it ends and just to get your thoughts and whether you feel like you should carry on with it, then yeah, it's something that's not going to spoil the end, and then we'll probably cover like a full. Right, recap the first half and then do like a full episode on like the the latter half of the season, maybe. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Uh, other than that, uh, no, I've uh, I saw something pretty cool though. Um, we've got a little bit of Star Wars to talk about, but before we get onto that, is um, they've released a new Black Series figure for Darth Nihilus from the Knights of the Old Ooh, Republic series. I'm going to Google this right now. Oh, man, Black very cool. I love how they've brought... And you know I'm a massive, massive fan of the Knights of the Old Republic game. It like I have like a, a bi-yearly playthrough of uh, number one <laughs> and number two um, because they're thankfully on... Uh, I think they're both on Xbox Game Pass, or you can go back and play them. And I've got them on Steam, and I can somehow yeah. play them on my MacBook, which is great. Um, oh, that black series figure is pretty nice. Yeah, you for can the actually price play of it as well. Like it looks really nice for the yeah. Price. You can actually play the first one on your iPad, which is crazy. I know, so Mental good, that, isn't it? Yeah, so good. It's like um, Jedi Academy is on the Switch as well, and so is Pod Racer. Yeah, that was pretty sick. But yeah, no, cool. That was just the the last thing to talk about. But anyway, right, all the old Star Wars games, the great. all the greatest Star Wars games. Well, Fallen Order was pretty good. <laughs> Fallen Order was all right. I really enjoyed Fallen Order. Yeah, it's just a shame. The mechanics it's were sometimes a bit clunky. Yeah, it's just a shame. It's endgame content's pretty weak. Yeah, I made sure that I finished the game before I went to the final boss. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> I one hundred percented that game. Yeah, you have no reason to ever go back to that game ever again. <laughs> nah, <laughs> nah, bro. Right. I'm surprised they haven't brought out any DLC for it. Well, yeah, yeah, but I guess... Uh, they just set up a sequel, didn't they? And they were like, we're going to do everything in the sequel, I guess. Yeah, for sure. Uh, speaking of Star Wars games, while we move on to the news, I don't know whether you saw the... There's a new, obviously, new Star Wars game, Squadrons, coming out. They did a CG yep. short based on uh, one of the characters. I don't know whether you had a chance to watch I haven't that. watched this yet, no. It's pretty good. It's about, I think it's like 10, 15 minutes long. Um, yeah. Oh no! I think it's isn't about it 10 like minutes. the last Tie Fighter from his squadron is being followed by a bunch of X wings? Yeah, it's really good. Ooh. It's really good. Like the the CG on it is amazing. Just considering it's a game cinematic, and considering it's just literally a bit of promo marketing material for the game, it looks awesome. Like really good. Like until you actually see the faces and the actual characters, it looks really convincing. Like you feel like you're watching like yeah. the like an episode of The Mandalorian or something with how good the <laughs> X the X-wings and the tie fighters look. But yeah, it's pretty solid. It looks really good. Well, you could tell from the uh, the EA Play event that happened a while ago when they like I think they had like 20 25 minutes maybe of um squadrons talk and like the, everyone behind it just loves the franchise loves everything about it so it doesn't surprise me how much effort they're going into it and the market and they're doing for it yeah it's solid i think they're trying to pull back some of those old like um 
X-Wing fighters and stuff like that, like fans. They're trying to bring all the old fans back to the games that might have fallen off with some of the Battlefield games and mm-hmm. single-player ones. And So they're trying to bring them all back, and then they're just trying to introduce it to a whole new generation of players as well, aren't they? So Yeah, for sure. Like, the, the marketing, they're just going to go all out with it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and it wouldn't be a new segment without talking about our uh, an update on delayed films and all <laughs> <laughs> everything coronavirus ruining everything. But um, so in terms of things getting pushed back, Wonder Woman eighty four has been pushed back to Christmas Day, which is uh, an interesting. Oh, why stop pushing it back? <laughs> I know it should have literally have been coming out in like what two weeks? Yeah. Ugh. Well, anyway, Christmas Day. I just want to watch it. Christmas Day is probably a smart release day, providing things of well, you know, things are going in the right direction. Right now, in the UK, they are absolutely going not in the right direction. Things got a lot <laughs> worse. Completely here. the opposite direction. We're back up to like nearly four thousand cases a day. Yay! So it is impossible to get a test or even like one of those drive-in tests, like yeah. anything where we live. And where we live is actually in the top 10 worst uh, places for cases as well, which is fantastic. Woo! Woo! Uh, Which is... (laughs) I mean, the north of England is just absolutely riddled with it, mate. It's so bad. Yes, because they aren't putting any resources in the north, but that's a different fucking conversation for a different podcast. It's like where I work is really bad, where I live is really bad. And it's just like, yeah, right, we'll just uh, carry on. Just carry on. Honestly, it feels like the north of England is a completely separate country from the south. Yeah. Like, literally, the Conservative government only care about anything south of London. It's bloody PC gone mad, mate. <laughs> Absolutely PC It's like gone. xenophobia for their own people. It's like, oh, you're from the north. Ugh. It's because like, we don't deal talk. with your own coronavirus. It's like, we, yeah. It's what? Because <laughs> we don't talk proper, that's why. We don't talk properly. <laughs> we talk with the twisted gob. We don't speak yeah. the Queen's English. And that's it. We talk the we talk the fucking uh, chips and gravy English, not the uh, <laughs> not the silver spoon English, not the silver spoon. Anyway, uh, so yeah, Wonder Woman eighty four has been pushed back to Christmas. Uh, Candyman's been pushed back to twenty twenty one. Disney's oh, considering delaying Black Widow even further now because no. Of- yeah, Stop. because of uh, Tenet. So, the last trailer t- showed too much anyway. Yeah. Stop pushing it back. So the problem is, is Tenet has been like a, like a test drive for releasing a film during a pandemic, and it's not done anywhere near as well as what it should have done, obviously. Yeah. goes without saying. But it, it's also not open in most cinemas in the US. I don't think it... Did it actually open in the US in the end? Uh, I've not got... Well, I mean, Tom Cruise went and watched it. I don't know whether you saw his Instagram video of... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but Tom Cruise could get a copy if he wanted to. Like, he could just hire out an entire cinema and be like, you're showing Tenant to me right now. But he didn't. He had somebody record him going to the cinema with it. He's got his mask on and someone recognises who he is and he's like, how the hell did you recognise me with it? I don't know, maybe it's the guy following you with the camera and maybe your bloody bodyguard or something taking you to the cinema. <laughs> and then... Yeah. Tom Cruise the... is pretty obviously Tom Cruise. And then he's in, the mo- he's in the movie and it's like, big movie, big screen, big fun or whatever, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> big money, big women, big fun. Yeah. <laughs> Just being Tom Cruise all over it. Um, 
Uh, what, what, what was we saying? Anyway, yeah. Um, so yeah, <laughs> I'm so lost. Um, I think yeah, I think it did, but maybe not as widely as what it opened up in the UK. I'm not too sure. But anyway, it's not done anywhere near as well as what they would have wanted it to have done. So I think that's made a lot of the other studios quite nervous to release anything. Yeah. Um, I mean, even Sony has put out a statement saying that they refuse to put any other big movies in cinemas until the pandemic's over, which will mean things like Venom uh, 2, which is, I don't even know Morbius. whether that's wrapped or whether it's still filming, I'm not sure. Morbius, not yeah, stuff like that. Um, Spider-Man 3, Tom Holland's Spider-Man 3. Has um, been paused. I mean, yeah, that's not even started shooting yet, though. Yeah, has it? So. no, but that would that would have started shooting by now. That's the thing. So they they're obviously just pulled up the handbrake, and I mean, also with Venom, they don't want to risk an even worse reception to Venom as what they got when it first launched. Because I don't I don't know whether it did really well when it came out or whether it fell a little bit flat. But I think I think it did okay financially. Like it did clearly enough to warrant a sequel, um, so it definitely earned its money back. But it was the reception more than anything that slated it. Yeah, I suppose if they ever had, if they risked, like, I mean, I mean, you're putting carnage in the film. I mean, Jesus, you don't want to, you don't want to release that during a pandemic. You don't want to risk, you know, that's your, that's your, you know, your ace ace card, isn't it? It's like yeah, your, yeah, for the yeah for the Venom universe, yeah, carnage yeah. is. Is the big load? That's the Thanos of the Sony verse. <laughs> yeah, hopefully. What do you reckon that'll be like? Um, you reckon that Ill uh, Carnage would have been like hiding in the background of loads of different Spider-Man films, like "Hello," and then <laughs> at the end he just come collecting all the different parts of Carnage. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> There's just like red goo that just starts gathering itself in like the background of scenes, and you're like, ah. Oh. <laughs> Speaking of MCU stuff, there's been a casting this week, uh, which I'm sure you've probably seen. Uh, Jonathan Majors has been cast in Ant-Man 3, and he's rumoured to be playing Kang the Conqueror. Uh, Jonathan Majors was in The Five Bloods. I think that was his most recent work. Um, but yeah, Kang the Conqueror is a rumour right now, which is pretty cool. Yeah, um... So a lot of people were speculating that Kang might have been in the Loki series that was coming out, which might be why the casting might be getting announced now. He might have like a cameo appearance in Loki or something like that, but his main film might be Ant-Man 3. Yeah. From the Ant-Man films that we're getting, I think Kang was initially introduced in the Ant-Man comic books, I think. I think he was a foil to um, to Hank Pym's Ant-Man uh around the same time as him creating Ultron and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, so Kang the Conqueror is like a time-travelling conqueror. Like he, he wants to control the entire timeline and the universe and everything. He's a major, major villain. A lot of people were like predicting maybe he could be the next big bad of the MCU before they got, obviously, the Fox properties and now everyone's hoping for Doctor Doom and Galactus. Yeah. yeah. Um, but... The version of Ant-Man that we get in the MCU, Kang the Conqueror does not seem to fit as the villain for that film. Like, what? <laughs> also, yeah. I'm not sure which versions of Kang the Conqueror. It might be all of them, or it might not be all of them. This is where Kang the Conqueror I don't have a great amount of knowledge on, but I believe he's a version of Tony Stark from another reality. Woof. <laughs> <laughs> Woof. 
just throwing that out there. I'm pretty sure in one of the like continuities, he's like they take Tony Stark as a child and pull him out of the timeline, and then he ends up becoming Kang the Conqueror. I mean, I'm sure or it's, it's Franklin fine. Richards in another one as well. I'm not entirely sure. I'm sure that's fine, but when you say that to someone who is an, a massive comic book nerd and has just watched the films, really, <laughs> it's a bit like. Oh, okay. yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, Maybe. Like, who's Ant-Man gone up against? He's gone up against a couple of normal dudes who own companies. <laughs> and have other suits. He went up against Walton Goggins, and he went up against, uh, like, low-budget Mark Strong in a yellow jacket suit. I mean, he only just about went up against Walton Goggins. <laughs> only just. <laughs> Uh, what was it? Phantom was the villain in that film. Although she became like an anti-hero at the end of it, but she didn't really do much in terms of the plot of that. Like, oh, you're talking, you're talking Ant Man and the Wasp, aren't you? Yeah, uh, Ghost was it? Yeah, I think it was Ghost. Uh, like, yeah. and then jumping from those two villains to Kang the Conqueror seems very strange. I mean, I, I think the casting's pretty good. I just don't. It might just be introduced in Ant-Man 3, or I don't know. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Maybe it's just an intro. Maybe it's even just a post credit sequence that's just got nothing to do with Ant-Man, but sets him Although, up. at the same time, the way that they started to go with like the final act of Ant-Man and introducing the microverse and stuff like that, they did start to lean pretty like, like deep sci-fi into it, didn't they? So potentially, if they want to... You know, like Thor Ragnarok, it like take it in like a one eighty turn. Yeah, I guess he did. He did have a significant role in Endgame as well. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, speaking of Marvel news, Chris Evans' dong made it onto the internet. <laughs> <laughs> just flat out saying it. We don uh, We tickled around the truth when it came to Ray Park, but then it's just like, yeah, Chris Evans. Uh, ding-a-ling. <laughs> uh, the, the memes are absolute gold. Uh, they are. They are absolute gold. And also, like the like the support from the fans was like weirdly wholesome about this. Obviously, normally when stuff like this comes out, it's like a major thing and everything. But like Chris Evans has struggled like publicly with like anxiety and depression and stuff like that before. Like he kept turning down the role of Captain America because he. He thought he wasn't worthy of it and all that sort of stuff, even though he's like one of the sweetest guys, one of the, like the most interesting actors to watch at the moment. And he isn't a fantastic Captain America. So it's like, as soon as this happened, like the internet just covered it up. Like there's like no trace of it except for people just being there. Like Chris Evans trending because he's the best guy in the world. Look at him and his dog. <laughs> Not his dong, his dog. I mean, I love like people are taking the screenshot of his camera roll and putting other photos over it, so it just eradicates it from the internet. I mean, I absolutely love how he then used the opportunity to say, whilst I've got your attention, <laughs> make sure you go and vote. <laughs> yeah, it was literally just like, you could tell he was mortified, and then he was just there like, uh, embarrassing tweet, uh, go vote! <laughs> Jeez, so funny. He is just such a good guy, like... And I feel really bad that this has happened to him, but at the same time, it's like, dude, check yourself. <laughs> nobody check those pictures. Nobody could have played this off better than Captain America himself. 
Well, that's the thing. Fucking America's ass, and now it's America's dong as well. That like, is. <laughs> he's got everybody's heart, so it's just sort of like, oh, it's okay, Chris Evans. You weren't doing it in a weird, creepy way. You did it by accident. <laughs> that we'll is you. America's dong. I love that. Uh, you know the post-credits from Spider-Man Homecoming? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I can't remember what he says, Like, but somebody's re-edited it, so he pulls the chair up and he's like, so you shared a dick pic. <laughs> <laughs> amazing uh right a couple of last little bits and bobs to cover off uh we've got robocop returns is gonna be a thing uh, is this following on from the 2014 robocop was it 2014 uh i don't really know <laughs> to be uh, honest i'm not can really we go any higher i'm not can really we go any higher while i stall for time and check not... 2014 was correct no, not really done my research, but here we are. So we'll it was twenty fourteen. Carry on, and we'll just uh, we'll just improvise. Uh, right, yeah. So there's a new RoboCop film coming out. The last one I watched had bloody Joel Kinnaman in it. Here we are. <laughs> that's that's it. I was never a massive RoboCop fan. I've never really watched it, but you know, new RoboCop film. Bring it into the modern day. You know, get a new modern film out of it. Yeah, it'd be cool. Okay, so I've just done the research right now. Um, it's not a follow-up to the 2014 one. It's a sequel, a direct because they're doing this all the time lately. It's a direct sequel to the original RoboCop. Even though RoboCop Two was pretty damn good back in the day, is it a Disney think- live action? That's what I'm asking. Is it a Disney live action <laughs> reboot but of RoboCop? Guess who has been brought on board to direct, and this is why it's back in the news. It's uh, Neil Blomkamp is coming back to direct it. Ooh, okay. Very so, good. But I, I don't know why this isn't a sequel to Robocop 2, because Robocop 2 has got just as much a following as the original. But they love to just do this now, don't they? It's like, uh, Halloween is a direct sequel to Halloween. Uh, Predator is a direct sequel to Predator. Everything's just sequel in the original, but not any of the spin-offs that came. Yeah, well, I mean, that's... You know, it, people just want to just restart stuff, don't they, without stressing about having to follow on con- continuity you know someone's got a vision for a robocop film they don't really want to have to feel like they have to incorporate the old ver- the older one the last one that came out but yeah i'm not bothered to be honest i'll i'll go check it out if it looks good if the- we get a trailer and it looks decent and yeah that's where i stand on that so yeah <laughs> sound yep very cool. good <laughs> and what else have we got there was a new bond featurette for the villain, which I haven't watched, but I just saw that it come out, so we should probably go watch uh, that. I film. didn't watch it either because I'm seeing too much of this film. Yeah, spoilers ahoy, you know what I mean. So. I mean that's it. That's the problem with all these films that should have come out like last year because you've you know you're seeing more and more and more stuff. They're having to put new marketing material out, which just means you're seeing more of the film than what you should have done. And yeah, I don't want to like, do that. Every time they change the release date, they release a new trailer with new footage. Yeah. So when it's been changed about seven times, you've got seven different trailers, you've seen half the film at that point. No, thank you. Uh, Nick Cage has... It's also a go. It's a go. Nick Cage as Joe Exotic. <laughs> it's a go. It's a thing. Excellent. Brilliant yeah. casting. Fantastic. Brilliant. I'm sure I mean, Joe Exotic it, is absolutely... If it wasn't Nicolas Cage... Who would it have been? <laughs> have you seen that Carol Baskin is on Dancing with the Stars? Oh my god. Have you not seen this? 
No, it's a thing. It happened. It's happened already. You can see her on Dancing with the Stars. I'll be honest, after the first month of lockdown and everybody stopped talking about Tiger King, I've just been like, I'm done with it. Yeah. I'm done with it. Like, she danced to uh, Eye of the Tiger, of course she did. Of course she did. Of course she did. I was literally, I was like trying to think of songs that involved cats in my head. Eye of the Tiger. And then there's that Janet Jackson song as well. Yeah. Uh, there must be other ones. <laughs> songs about cats. Google. <laughs> there's got to be plenty. But yeah, uh, yeah, this is going to be a thing. I assume. What's it- new pussycat? <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> She could do a nice uh, waltz or something to it. Yeah, that's it. Uh, I assume this is pretty much just going to be like the um, the document docu series, but with yeah, probably a bit more dramatic, bit more of a a drama to it. But yeah, well, uh, we'll see if it's I'm any just, good I'm just, comes out. I'm waiting. You know, like yeah, have you seen the clip of uh, Nick Cage like dramatically shouting the alphabet? I can't remember what film it's from. No. Uh, or, like, the bit where he's playing, like, a vampire priest or something, just, like, running around with a log or something, shouting, like... I'm just expecting that level of Nick Cage, like, like the weird parts of Mandy. Like, we can, I just want him tripping balls for the entire two hours. We can literally <laughs> only hope. And the last thing I want to talk about in terms of news is we had a PS5 reveal of pricing, of other stuff. Now, we're obviously not a gaming podcast as much as I what we love to talk about video games, but I felt like we need to talk about this because we gave Xbox a little bit of uh, bit of airtime, didn't we? So yeah, uh, right, yeah. So the price is pretty much there or thereabouts. The cheaper version, the digital version of the ps5 is slightly more expensive than what the xbox series s is uh, not by much like it's a hundred pounds or a hundred dollars or whatever isn't it is it i'm pretty certain it is unless i'm just I, I absolutely I people fake saying it's using. the same price no uh, the series x and the ps5 are the same price as far as i believe but okay. the cheaper versions of both consoles the xbox console kind of takes it a little bit more i believe or i could just be sprouting fake news who knows but uh, so the yeah. digital version is 350 pound uh xbox series i'm pretty certain it's 299 um 249 299 299 us or uh, pounds uh dollars Right, so you gave me the price for the PS5. <laughs> yeah, pounds. the internet is not helping me out right now. When I need the information quick, it's failing me, I'll be honest with you. Either way, uh, either way, I think the PlayStation 5 launch is far and away better than the Xbox launch. Well, apparently honest. they've had a massive issue with um, stock and stuff, haven't they, for the PS5? I have keep hearing bits and bobs where they're having problems with the amount of units that they're going to try and get out. I think because everyone's rushing out to pre-order. Literally, my entire timeline this morning. So the event happened last night. I watched it when it was happening live. And then literally since last night, all I've seen is people in the UK and America just posting pictures of them pre-ordering it. Like Everyone was like, not not rushing out to pre-order any consoles. This next generation, I'm going to wait a little bit. And then all of a sudden last night, everybody changed their opinion. But are Series X pre-orders out? 
because I saw nobody pre-order the Series X. I don't know, uh, but I don't think you would have seen anybody pre-ordering it anyway. <laughs> like, people are being quite hostile towards it at the moment. Oh, dear. Um, but I think... See, the thing is, they've brought out the Series S, which is a digital-only console, but it's got slightly lower specs, so the price is less. Mm-hmm. But then the PlayStation 5 and the PlayStation 5 digital version, like, there is no difference in specs except for the lack of a disk drive, and it's $100 cheaper. Um, and now they've got Spider-Man Miles Morales launching with it. You've got Demon Souls apparently launching with it. Um, they're, they're basically doing their version of Game Pass as well, so with your membership, you get loads of the best um, PlayStation 4 games. Okay. On day one on your PlayStation 5. So if you're not up to date, then you can get up to date. Like, So the day the console launches, you can instantly get like 12 of the best games from like the last generation and two new games. Ah, which makes makes good sense and from a purchase Xbox point of view. Xbox aren't really launching with anything. Did you see Everything the new- that the Xbox launches with is also launching on the Xbox One and PC at the same time. Yeah, fair. Right, okay, right. Uh, trailers. <laughs> uh, yeah, trailers. <laughs> Sorry, I am ahead in gaming space then. Um, I was about to start talking about game trailers. I was about to say, oh, Final Fantasy 16, anybody? Uh, Harry um, Potter. <laughs> Harry Potter looked pretty cool. Um, except for the fact that we all hate J.K. Rowling now. It's just a thing. Um, okay, we had a few trailers drop. Netflix has got quite a few jobbies coming out at the moment. Um, trailer for... Hubby or Hubby Halloween. I can't remember how they said it in the trailer. Starring Adam Sandler. It's his next Netflix comedy because he signed into a massive contract with them because they bought Lucky Madison, uh, Happy Madison, didn't they? Um, it looks like one of the funnier ones. It's like a Halloween comedy slash maybe Supernatural coming into it. Okay. Um, it's it's another one of those Adam Sandler jobbies. It's got Noah Schnapp from um, Stranger Things. It's got Will Byers in it. Interesting. Um, and a lot of the returning cast from his recent films, Kevin James is in it as well. Uh, Keenan Thompson from Keenan and Kel and SNL are in it. Um, looks better than his other ones, but I still don't know. I'll wait for people to tell me whether it's worth watching or not before I dig into that. Very good. Uh, the next one after that, if we're going to keep talking about... Oh, yeah, that comes out on the 7th of October. Um, sticking with Netflix, though, like I was saying, there is The Trial of the Chicago 7 coming out. This is also launching in cinemas, um, select cinemas, so they're clearly going for the award season with this one, similar to how they launched The Irishman in selected cinemas as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is an Aaron Sorkin film. Um, it, it's a documentary-based film. The film is based on the infamous 1996 trial of the seven defendants charged by the federal government for conspiracy and more arising in a counterculture protest in Chicago in 1968. Um, basically, they're speaking up against the government and the government basically put them on trial and put everybody accountable for it on trial. But this cast is absolutely mental. you got Eddie Redmayne, Sasha Baron Cohen, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, uh, Jeremy Strong, Mark um, Rylance, um uh, he was in Bridge of Spies, if you're not recognising the name. He's a fantastic actor. Um, Yael Abdul-Manteen II. Black Manta. Uh, Michael Keaton's in this. I didn't even see him in the trailer. Cool. Um, John Carroll Lynch. 
like this cast just goes on and on and on. Um, it, it's insane. Uh, it looked really good. Um, the styling and the pacing of it and everything. It, it looks like a great 60s period piece. Um, produced by Steven Spielberg. Wow. So they are definitely, definitely going for the um, the Oscars with this. Also, I'm I'm seeing now that there's been loads of other films about this as well. One in '87, one in uh, 2007, and one in 2011. Okay, and it seems like the number keeps changing. So the first <laughs> there was the conspiracy, the trial of the Chicago Eight, <laughs> and then there was Chicago Ten. And then there's the Chicago 8, and now this is the trial of Chicago 7. I don't know this part of American history, but how many people were on trial? It can't have been this <laughs> difficult for that many people to get different numbers. No, no, for sure. It's like 27 bridges again when they kept changing the name of it. It was like 17 bridges. It was like, wait, no, there's underground bridges. So it's like 27 bridges. But actually, in reality, I think there's actually 31 bridges in total. <laughs> <laughs> like, but anyway, this film. It looks pretty damn good. Um, if you like a slow burn government conspiracy trial film with Very a great good. cast, sound, cool. sound. There's definitely going to be some nominations from this if it turns out a good film. Um, I think most of the main cast have all been up for an award before or won one. Eddie Redmayne, Sasha Baron Cohen, Michael Keaton, Mark Rylance. Amazing. Um, so that's that one. The Place... Uh, the Place of No Words is the next one. Struggle to remember the name of it then. This film, I have not heard anything about, but this looks like one of the most charming films of the year. Like, this is going to leave people in tears. You love a good um, charming film, don't you? Like, it, it looks like a charming, heartfelt film. It really does. Um, so, um, where do we go when we die? It's a simple question, a simple but unanswerable question by a precarious three-year-old. Um that kicks off an epic journey as a small lad leads his family through an imaginary adventure through fantasy lands filled with uh, mythic creatures. So it's clearly a family and a child trying to come to terms with, I, th- I believe it was the father's um, like terminal illness or something like that, um, explaining to a young child about life and death and uh, the way the world works and trying to comfort him in his father's last days or something like that it looks it it gave me very much um where the wild things are vibes with like the costumes and the world building and everything like that with like um amazing fantasy landscapes clearly shooting in probably iceland and uh, uh new zealand but it just it looked so charming and the family dynamic seemed really nice and this kid actor seemed just to be swept away with wonderlust throughout the entire film so mm-hmm. i'm definitely going to give this a go I, I think it's definitely going to leave most people in tears mm-hmm. um uh, the reviews are mixed by the looks of it um but it's only aired at film festivals so far uh this is coming out october 22nd or 23rd i believe it was cool um yep keep an eye out on that one and then the last one that i want to talk about this one blew my mind when i saw the trailer i was like okay anthony mackie in what sounds like a sci-fi film i was like okay sounds good to me uh it's a sci-fi horror film it's being described as lovecraftian um like oh like otherworldly lovecraftian horror um so 
Anthony Mackie and let me get the other name so I don't get him mixed up. Uh, Jamie Dornan, I always get him mixed up with Sam Cleflin. Um, they are paramedics who on the job of starting to notice more and more people succumb into the effects of this drug uh, called Synchronic. And then after Anthony's Mackie, Anthony Mackie's character is diagnosed with an inoperable brain tumour, um, I'm guessing it's cancerous um, because you see a shot of like radiation therapy and stuff like that going on. He decides to start taking this drug to try and figure out what's happening to people. Like they seem to go in like a waking coma like stake. Oh, okay. Um, so he starts to take this drug, which apparently teleports you to different worlds and stuff like that. But like some of them are like trippy. Some of them are explorative. Some of them are pure horror based and like, murder cults and stuff like that and some of them are like self-exploratory like uh and stuff like that the visuals looked amazing um and he's basically trying to find people who aren't coming back from these psychological trips that's why their bodies are basically comatose they're like waking comatose like the mind isn't coming back from these places so he uh like is coming to what he believes is the end of his life so he takes it upon himself to delve into this drug world to to figure out what the hell is going on, and it looks like mind-bending. It's by um, Justin Benson. He wrote and directed it. Um, apparently, he's been making some amazing films. I haven't seen any of them, um, but he's been working with like Ezra Miller on stuff like that. Um, he is an upcoming writer-director, but everyone's raving about all his stuff. So that comes out at the end of October as well. This, I wasn't expecting anything from it, and then the trailer blew my mind. If you haven't seen the trailer for this, go watch it. I just think I've sold you on that film because that film. Like, yeah, I think you've, me away. you've sold me. I've you have, <laughs> you have piqued my interest definitely. It's sat on eighty three percent on Rotten Tomatoes as well at the moment. Very cool. So yeah, Anything, good reviews. Is there a particular trailer from a galaxy far, far away that we need to talk about? I think there is. Um, I think there definitely is a trailer for the Mandalorian. Season two. I was not expecting this trailer to come out. I've just clipped the microphone. <laughs> I was not expecting this trailer to come out, and then it came out of seemingly nowhere. And wow, yeah, looks good, man. Looks theorize real, with real me, Sam. Good. Theorize yeah. with me. What do you think we saw? What do th- what do we think's happening? Right, let's talk. So I think what we see is, I mean, it's kind of what we, I mean, we predicted a thing, didn't we? We we predicted a little bit last time when we were talking about where all the rumours and stuff for the casting and all that kind of biz. So I believe we may have been nearly right. So he's trying to uh, bring the child to the Jedi again, which is who we think. He's trying to find Ahsoka Tano. Uh, and then obviously things happen along the way, right? Yeah. The person that we see with the hood on is not uh, Ahsoka, because there was a no. lot of people who were like, what? But no, I yeah, believe... I, I mistakened it to begin with, because like, the only close-up we get is very dark, but people have brightened it up, and it's... I can't remember her name. Sasha something from uh, the women's side of WWE, isn't it? Yeah, so the talk is is that that is going to be our Sabine Wren, potentially, I think I've seen. Ooh. Which, I'm game, I'm all in. I'm absolutely all in. Uh, another thing is that on the speeder sequence where you see uh, him go, uh, you know, he's on like Tatooine or whatever, a desert planet, mm-hmm. he's got 
something that very, very, very much looks like a Boba Fett backpack on his speeder. Well, we see him use a jump pack at one point, don't we? No, I mean, he's got his jump pack, and then he's got an additional backpack on that speeder. So, credit to Twitter for that, whoever it was. There's been loads of breakdowns of this, and I haven't watched any of them yet. No, (laughs) it looks solid, though. Like, it looks really good. Like, you can see, like, man, just the the scout troopers who are on the speeders that go off the the cliff. It's just... It just looks amazing. It just looks it really looked good. Fantastic! Like yeah. I was genuinely t- taken away. Like the first season looked great, um, but it also kind of felt like uh, at times it felt like it was inside almost that bubble. Sometimes, yeah, you know that they were shooting in like some of like the indoor set locations and stuff like that. But this time, it just looks it looks massive, and it looks like they're breaking away from some of that for some of the more like boots on the ground sort of action scenes with the speeder and stuff like that. It looked, woof, like it took me away. This ice planet, do we reckon that is um, the same one that becomes Starkiller-based? Is it the one where the Jedi used to go? Ilum, um, yeah, I think it could be Ilum, definitely. Ilum, that's the one. Yeah, I've, I think the chances are very high it could be Ilum, uh, which is Starkiller-based. Because they're talking about like, because it, they show the planet as well, and they show the ice stuff when they're talking about the ancient religion of the Jedi and taking him to find the last of the Jedi hidden away. Yeah, it's like it sounds like they would go to a Jedi temple, and what Jedi temple do we know of? Like where they bring younglings and stuff like that. It's always Ilum that we see normally. However, the other um, problem that you have is that Star Wars are very good at bait and switching in trailers, so we could just be completely yeah. wrong. However, it would make a lot of sense that Illum is set up in Fallen Order to still have stuff there. It would yeah. be cool if that then links in. Like, I like the idea of not trying to bring too much new stuff in, but use the things that are good and tie parts of the universe together again. I know yeah. that's very, very contradictory to some of the things that we said about the original trilogy. Not the original trilogy, the sequel trilogy because it felt like it was trying to tie too much together. However, I think like with this series, because it hits that nostalgia button so much, I think that having things like, you know, have something to do with Boba Fett come in, that'd be awesome. Have something to do with um have something to do with Ahsoka Tano in it, because what she's been what she been up to, she's been up to something after Rebels. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she's a beloved character, so just put more in of what works, put more in of what people want. And yeah, I don't think we saw anything from Ahsoka in this trailer, did we? No, definitely um, not, definitely not. I reckon that'll be like the next big trailer we'll either have that reveal in, or they'll save it. Like Dave, uh, um, John Favreau and Dave Filoni do like to keep a lot close to the chest, yeah. uh, not like most of the promotional material where they just show everything straight away. Yeah. So... And look, I've got so the much same faith way. in it. I've just got a ridiculous amount of faith in it. The first season did not disappoint. Yeah. And there was parts where, obviously, you know, there were there were little bits of filler in it. But you got to, you know, the, it's your first live-action Star Wars TV series. Of course, it's mm-hmm. going to have that. It's going for that vibe. Uh, but, I mean, it doesn't win, uh, you know, I didn't mention it before, but it's won a plethora of Emmys already for all sorts of different things for each episode mm. that you don't do that 
and it not be a good series, you know. So Yeah. Yeah. The end of October is full of stuff. We're going to be so busy when it comes to October. Yeah, and the fact it's coming out on Disney Plus and we hopefully don't have to worry about it being fucking pushed back is fantastic because people yeah. will jump on those streaming services and you won't have to pay any extra for it, hopefully. <laughs> because I can't wait for it. Mulan. <laughs> Why would you do that? Anyway, <laughs> anyway, yeah, very uh, excited. Is there anything else that we wanted to talk about with the trailer? Uh, oh, who did you think that voiceover was? I've heard people saying it was the... Um, sounds like the weapon. It, it sounds like the Smith. The Smithy, yeah, but... Yeah. It kind of did, but to me, it also kind of sounded a bit more like Katie Sackhoff. Um... And when she's talking about the Mandalorians and stuff like that, like she's meant to be playing uh, Bo-Katan, isn't she? Oh, uh, so yeah. So she yeah, would yeah, know yeah, a lot yeah. about the Mandalorian and uh, the Mandalorians and stuff like that. And I, my interpretation of it was that she, the Smithy, might not have made it out of the last season. No, she sort of like stayed behind to help people uh, to help them escape, didn't she? Yeah, true. But you don't know whether Um, she survived or not. That's the thing. When the stormtroopers were coming, no, you don't know. But like to me, that kind of sounded a bit more like Katie Sackhoff. Yeah, maybe. So maybe it's Bo-Katan giving him this mission instead and telling him about the the Mandalorians and stuff like that. I think, yeah. Maybe either or. I think either or. At first, I was a bit like, see... "Could that be Rosario Dawson?" Maybe, but then I was like, "No, probably not." They're probably going to keep that well under wraps until the episode comes out. Yeah, well, that's what I was thinking. Like, are they going to show it in the next trailer? Is like the big reveal of Ahsoka Tano, or are they just going to wait until the season comes out? The same way that um, uh, is your favorite uh, favorite game uh, name to say? What's his name? Um. Played the Grand Moth in it. What's his name, Sam? I'm blanking uh, on it. Giancarlo Esposito. That's the one. Uh, I could think of Esposito, but I couldn't think of his first name. Like, that was pretty held close to the vest that he was in it. I don't remember seeing him in the trailer. Uh, he had, like, one that... little scene uh, yeah. where he was outside with the other stormtroopers, and that was it. But his whole character and the Darksaber and stuff like that, the clip kept close to the chest and stuff, didn't they? So maybe they just keep Ahsoka Tano under wraps until, like, she appears in an episode and, like, give the fans, like, that big moment without it spoiling it in the trailer. Yeah, for sure. Right, we should move on to the main topic, Chris. Yeah. Uh, Before we move on to the main topic, (laughs) have you seen that Kanye West pissed on a Grammy on Twitter? (laughs) (laughs) No. No, I didn't see that. He put his Grammy in the toilet and then filmed himself peeing on it. Why? <laughs> and put, trust me, I won't stop. <laughs> Sorry. That guy is in his own universe. I had to get this off of my chest before we moved on to the main topic. <laughs> I've missed so much on social media, like except for Chris Evans' dick. <laughs> you, you definitely have not missed that. <laughs> no, that eclipsed the sun when it came out. Uh, anyway, onto the devil all the time. The film that we were meant to be talking about the bulk of this episode. Well, we just tend to have a big uh, preamble towards we talk about it. The preamble is more than what we talk about on the actual episode, but you probably know that by now if yeah. you've not listened to it. There was this a podcast. lot of news to rattle off there. There was. So, the devil all the time. Right. No spoilers first, and then we'll give you a little bit of a heads up when we get onto spoiler territory. So, don't worry. 
If you want to kind of find out whether you want to watch this film or not, you can check this episode out for a little bit longer and then we'll give you the heads up to dart off and then make sure you come back and get our thoughts on what we thought of the film as well. Yes. So, right, uh, what did you think overall, Chris? I enjoyed this film. It was a slow burn film that I haven't seen for a while. It gave me very much almost... um, no country for old men sort of vibes at times obviously like i don't think the script was quite as sharp as a coen brothers film but it had the same sort of backcountry uh out in the middle of the sticks character drama thing that i got sort of from no country for old men it's a slow burn it definitely like the pace builds and ebbs and flows um pretty well i think some parts i was like like, it felt like I had been watching, like, two hours of a film and it had only been, like, ten minutes. And I was like, oh, there's still, like, three quarters of the film left sometimes. Um, yeah, yeah. But I enjoyed the flowing narratives from one storyline to another. Yeah, definitely. I got some major Place Beyond the Pines vibes from yeah. this. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, the film kind of carries that same kind of narrative that you get with that. And yeah, it's like Greek Brechtian theatre type, the way they tell the narrative and stuff like that. Yeah, and it's like you, you're kind of watching and you're kind of like, when are all these different... At some point, all these storylines are going to cross over and it's like you, you're waiting for it to happen. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's dark, this film. It is really dark. And you knew it was going to be dark from the trailer when we watched it originally, but oh man, like this this touches some serious, serious topics, this film. Um I was talking about it in work and I was like trying to recommend it, but like set the expectation that it's you know, it's gonna have some really uncomfortable moments in this film. However, yeah. it's executed extremely well by the actors extremely mm-hmm. well by the you know the narrative the the way it's written and you know it's yeah it, it's brutal man this film is brutal that's the one yeah. word that i took away from it like you've you've got such a, a stellar cast like you've got bill skarsgård you've got tom holland obviously you've got robert patterson obviously um you've got sebastian stan sebastian stan you've harry got- melling uh clark uh, Jason Clark, yeah, um, Eliza uh, Scanlon, who so she played uh, Lenora in this. I had just uh, recently seen her in um, Little Women. I haven't seen her in anything else but those two. But she is a phenomenal actress to keep an eye on as well. Yeah, it's um, yeah. Every every you know all the cast kill this and what i really liked about this is it was such a departure for tom holland from doing spider-man and peter parker stuff it was like he really got to flex his acting in this and really go over the top like he um he put on his social media as well like just saying how thankful he is that this film's now out and people are able to see it and the reception that it's getting and how people are talking about his performance. Like, he genuinely seemed, like, heartwarmed by the reception to it and he was saying, like, it is a big departure for him as an actor because um, he started to get sort of, like, he got... He felt like he was almost going to get disney Like, he started to take on these big franchise films, so being able to take on a smaller role like this and flex doing accents and 
oh, see yeah. a darker side of himself. Like he was really grateful for the opportunity, and honestly, I thought he smashed it. I was expecting his accent work to be maybe a little ropey at times, but he he did nail it, and he was great in the role. I did lose him into the part. Yeah, he yeah, a hundred percent. And I think it's really easy to not like how you said you lost you lost him in the part. It's really easy to struggle with that when you you um you relate him so heavily back to Peter Parker and uh, and you know in that jokey kind of actor you know you you almost kind he almost sits a little bit as like a comedy actor with serious moments because yeah, he's a very light hearted actor isn't he normally that's it where in this there's not a single light hearted moment from him he's just no. Oh man, like I, th- I think he really kills it. Like I would say his performance in this—no <laughs> is... pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say his performance in this is probably like leagues different to what it is in the Marvel films. Like, don't get me wrong, there's parts in the Marvel films where, you know, like where Tony dies and stuff, where it's, it's heavy and his acting's good. But like in this, it's just—it's just he stepped it up. Yeah. Well, it. And Robert Patterson as well was in this, but they starred in Lost City of Z together as well, yeah. which was like another film which was a bit more of a departure for for the pair of them as well. And so he, he is getting like little opportunities to do this stuff. And honestly, it's the best thing that he could be doing while he's still playing Peter Parker as well, because it will avoid him getting typecast. Absolutely. But to be honest, like there's so many actors in this film that I've seen from other things and stuff. Uh, and like I love them for other roles, and they are a lot of them are just at the beginning of their careers, like on the upwards trajectory. Like you said, like so you got Sebastian Stan, you got Harry Melling is making a name for himself again. Did you recognize who he was, by the way? Sorry, he's Dudley from Harry Potter. Did you recognize him? Um, Harry Melling, the preacher that pours the spiders on himself, which I bet you were freaking oh. out over. Oh, yeah. Well, I was. Yeah, I saw it coming. Yeah, I did uh, feel like I recognised him from somewhere. Yeah, I, he is. Yeah, I know who you mean now. He is uh, from Harry Potter. Yeah. Um, so he's been making a name for himself. He was in His Dark Materials and War of the Worlds on BBC as well. So he he's on an upwards trajectory. Everybody in this film seems to be like... Like Jason Clark. obviously, has been acting for a long time. So is Robert Patterson. But... Those two are, I think, now finding the feet and finding the roles that they want to do. So everybody was like, pretty much like just starting to tiptoe into films like this, and they all just blended into the roles. That it was so well acted. I can't praise that enough. Mm. I love the 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 part that you know the 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 arc for Jason Clark's character in this film. It's so like it dances around it quite a lot. Until mm-hmm. you get towards the end, where you've got the guy who comes back from war, that guy, when you kind yeah. of see what happens. And yeah, it's just so, like, it really gripped you because it was like a lot of intrigue onto what was happening. But Jason Clark's character was just so menacingly just disturbed in this. Yeah, he was very, like, dark from the offset wasn't he like yeah you saw that one moment of light where he first met sandy and then after that it was just pure darkness like like there's elements in this film like obviously it's tackling faith a lot and stuff like that and Mm. he sort of sees himself as doing these dark things is the only way 
either he's trying to become more like God or that's when he feels the presence of God and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And that's what the narrator tells us. And like you can tell like this character is just warped beyond belief. Like it, it he says it's for work, it's for business. It's like, no, you're buying stuff to be a murderer. Like you are you are warped in every sort of way. Yeah, yeah. Um what did you think about um the heavy use of narrator in this as well? I liked it. I really liked it because the narrator the narrator the narrator was told more of the story than what was showing on the screen because it was a lot of things where it was narrating how people was feeling and you kind of rather than having to guesswork that from the actors performances it was nice having the narration because it just kind of helped you especially there was one bit um that I don't want to spoil but the narration just kind of it's almost like weirdly comedic but it's like um it's in the barn if you remember yeah. what i mean yeah yeah, um, yeah and it's like I knew what you meant before you said it yeah. yeah the narration at that point is just seriously powerful I really liked it. For me, it just kind of helped keep you on the rails a little bit because I think if you're kind of not really paying attention to who people are, what's going on, because you're watching people grow up as well and you're you're trying to just follow the story and there's a lot of names going around, there's a lot of different characters, the, the narrator just kind of helps piece that together a little bit, especially at the beginning. At the beginning, it really helped kind of understand um what was happening yeah it's a very it's a very quiet plodding film isn't it like like you said like there's not all that much dialogue at times and the narrator fills in that but this was the first time in a long time like i felt like i was watching a novel which sometimes can be a bit weird but this like i really enjoyed it like it felt like you were being taken through a story of these connecting narratives, mm-hmm. which if you didn't have the narration, you wouldn't have got how interlinked they were, which like at the beginning, like it says like everybody in these towns are either connected by blood or some sort of catastrophic event. And yeah. like, like we see a series of catastrophic events unfolding. And like you said, like it jumps around in time as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so the narrator really pulls it all together. I didn't realize as well until, uh, afterwards, the narrator was the guy that voiced the narration was the writer of the novel. This is based stuff. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So yeah. it's almost like an audio book at the same time, and which is why I felt probably so much like I was watching a novel. Yeah, um, definitely. Which, like, for like, he calls it hillbilly gothic, and that is literally like the best way of describing that it. It's very good way of describing it. I like. I was just sort of like. I was enthralled with it. I kind of wished that it was like a mini series, you know, like a four or five episode mini series or something. Yeah, like, it, it does, felt, yeah, it, it felt does. like a non-comedic Fargo type show. If you get me, mm-hmm. yeah, it does play like a like like what you were saying, like a novel when you watch it because you have that narration element as well. Mm-hmm. Like if you look at the script of this, it's like reading a book. Yeah, and you know, visually, it's very powerful as well. So. You know, there's a lot of visual moments like the spiders over the head and, um, you know, like the there's a lot of shots in the film that harken back to things that happened earlier on and like yeah. things start to link together. There's a lot of parallels and there's a lot of mirroring going on in it. Yeah. And there's, yeah, 
it, it there's not a like is is quite a simple looking film, but what they do with what is shown to you is powerful. Mm-hmm. Like uh, the way they display information, uh, and I think that gave the actors a lot of room to like do things without having to say things. You know what I mean? Because you had the narrator talking over scenes, like they could almost focus more on the character's feelings because they're not having to say things to like make everybody understand. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think to kind like, of it's yeah. really interesting. Yeah, I think to kind of round this up a little bit, like I was very surprised that this was a Netflix film. It really feels like it would be a lot more indie. It feels like it's very dark for something. For, well, I mean, you know, Netflix don't really surprise you these days, but it feels something extremely dark and stuff for Netflix to pick up. It mainly feels like it was like a bit of like an art house film almost, a bit like The Lighthouse maybe. Like something yeah, it, that you'd you'd have to go digging for to kind of watch, but well, that's what I was about to say. It felt like an A twenty four like indie film, like you said, didn't it? Um, yeah. But Netflix are good at stuff like that. Like films like this often don't always get picked up by certain um, uh, production companies and distributors and stuff like that because it does tackle strange themes as well, especially like. It heavily leaning on religion and stuff like that. I know in America, like that's a very tricky subject to make films about. Sometimes, mm-hmm. um, production companies and distributors don't like to tackle stuff like that. So, yeah, it it felt like an indie film that was picked up by Netflix because otherwise it might not have found another home. But yeah. with this cast, like it, it had to be released. It had to be seen by people. You couldn't waste these performances. Yeah. Um. An interesting question. Just before we move on to. Um, spoilers where we'll just round up some of our favorite kind of sequences and shots and stuff mm-hmm. um how how more importantly how not who but how would you recommend this film to someone to watch it it's it's not like it's obviously not a, not going to be a film for everybody because it is it is a very uncomfortable at parts but how would you recommend this to someone as a watch i think this is very much, like you said, it feels like an independent thriller, uh, slow burn for people that, like, it's for cinephiles more than anything. It's like trying to get people to watch No Country for Old Men if they haven't seen No Country for Old Men. Like, it's not everybody's cup of tea. It has those moments of brutality, whether it's, like, the gore is often not shown or then shown, like, through other means and stuff like that. So it's not deeply gory, but it is still disturbing in some of the aspects that it covers. Yeah. So it's definitely a dark gothic film for people that love slow burn films. You know what I mean? That's probably the best way. Like I can pinpoint in my head who I should recommend it to and who I shouldn't recommend it to. Um, I think that, I think it's more the people that you need to, question not how you're going to describe the film you know what i mean yeah like you need yeah. to cherry pick who who you're going to recommend this film to yeah defo however in terms of a rating i i would definitely recommend this like it's a really good film it's gonna push you if you don't really watch things like this but it definitely at the end of it it definitely is a bit it's got a payoff you know what i mean You've, yeah it's, it's a good film yeah it's very very good and also give it a watch because tom holland um robert patterson you know sebastian stan bill skarsgård um and obviously you know 
the the whole cast, the whole cast, um, especially um, especially Eliza Scanlon as well as Lenora, and then you've got um, Riley Kanoa's uh, sorry, how do you say her name? How do you say her surname? Um, uh, Riley Co. Uh, Q. Cough. Cough. I think Riley Cough is Sandy. Um, yeah, they just they just nail it. It's just really good. Um, and more importantly, I think this is a showcase of Tom Holland, and I think it's really, really gave you a little bit of faith for things like the Uncharted series coming out and future films where you know, especially that um, is it Cherry that um, Russo brothers With- one. Daisy Ridley. Oh, no, no. You're talking about the bank heist one, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it makes me really excited to see him in that now. Oh, yeah. Definitely. I want to see him. Like, I want to go back and watch Lost City of Z now because I want to see more of him and Robert Patterson on screen together. Like, that scene of those two in the church, I won't describe what happens, but, like, the build intention and everything. Obviously, it's like, obviously, the whole production and the direction and everything, but the way those two play it and the way they bounce off each other is really good like they work so well on screen together mm-hmm. um and they only really had one scene together but i, I would just want to see more of that so maybe checking out lost city of z might be good for that or hopefully in the future they work together again defo right uh let's talk about some of our favorite moments in spoilers, spoilers. so yes yeah, spoilers. Spoilers, spoilers spoilers go spoilers check for out a book that came out years ago <laughs> yeah for a book that you probably never read and a film that you might watch so yeah Cool, right. Uh, yeah, Tom Holland's brutality in this, beating up those kids. Um, oh, yeah, brutal. Like, I loved the theme of, like, the sins of the father type thing. Like, like Faith was clearly, like, sort of, like, the devil inside of everyone in this. Like, everyone that was, like, like believing and stuff like that met a bad end, but then, like, he was just able to... He learned from his father to pick his time instantly and like picking those boys off one by one and putting the bags over their head. I was like, oof. Mm. Like, like he didn't just beat them up. Like, the bag over the head was such like a symbol for him. Like, the, this was like how he taught those lads a lesson. Yeah, I got some heavy drive vibes from him. Yeah. It's where he just kind of flipped the switch and he, yeah. So Talk about good. drive. That film came out nine years ago the day of recording this. Jeez. Nine years ago, and I still love that film. Yeah, Defo deserves a bit of a rewatch. I'd say. No, oh, I would love to cover that on a episode if we ever do. Like, if we haven't got anything on, it'd be like, let's talk about Drive. Yeah, Defo. That yeah. is still. It will always be in my top ten films. Yeah, hundred percent. And uh, yeah, uh, what else? What else? What else? Um, yeah, the whole um, bit where the two arcs kind of join together when you realise where Tom Holland, because you see. You see them drive past earlier on in the film, and then you see the car go the other way when uh, his characters, when Arvin's driving through the woods in the van, yeah. and then you realise there's that link, and then they pick him up, and it it doesn't hang on to that very long. It really quickly moves on with them, obviously try to start manipulating him, and you know, trying to kill yeah, him, basically. it really builds builds up pace for like that last like ten percent of the film, doesn't it? Yeah, which is good because at moments like that, it would that's the bit that would really drag out. It's like, oh, is it? Are they going to do it? Are they not going to do it? Are they going to do it? And it was just like, yeah, no, they're going to try and kill him, and he just quickly reacts. It's just yeah, it's just straight in your face. So uh, there was only really two characters in this 
well, three that I felt sympathetic for. So there was Lenora, there was Arvin when he was a kid, obviously losing his mother and having to deal with his father's like sink into religion and depression and everything like that. And his that. dog crucified on a cross. Oh. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Bill Skarsgård was so good. Like I would have watched an entire film based around that like first act. Mm. I would have watched an entire film like based around that, which like culminated the way that it did. I that would have made yeah. a great film just I that. would just love to see that um that war film with Bill Skarsgård in it. Yeah, like well well that's the thing, like I've like the first act being the war, second act him coming home and finding a family and everything like that, and then the the final act is descent into madness yeah. essentially. I just love to um, see him in like uh um what was the what was the film? Um Oh jeez. Uh Hacksaw Ridge. I'd love Hacksaw to see Ridge. Do you know what I was thinking Hacksaw Ridge? And I was like, no, he doesn't mean Hacksaw Ridge. Yeah, I'd love to see him in like a Hacksaw Ridge esque film. I want to see Bill Skarsgård play more characters where he's not made up in makeup. <laughs> yeah, like as good like, as he he's was such in a it. Good, like, yeah, he was amazing as it, but like when he's just able to flex completely and be a human character, yeah. he's really good. This was very much three, three films, three narratives in one. Like you could have spent the entire time watching one of those narratives, like watching the Bill Skarsgård, like the early years with Arvin as a uh, as a kid, and then the arc of him when he's older looking after his stepsister, adopted sister, whatever like you want to call it, and their dealings with the priest. Mm-hmm. And then there was the story with like this Bonnie and Clyde murderer couple. Um but like that was the other two characters that I felt sympathy for was Lenora because she was just sort of like swept away. She was the innocent party. She was led astray by someone who she put her entire faith and religion yeah, into. Yeah, Robert Pattinson's character. Um, and then Sandy, I felt sorry for Sandy in like, like a weird way. I get that. Yeah, she was like complicit to murder and stuff like that, but you could tell she was never really okay with it after the beginning. Like mm. even with the first one, she still she was just there. Like I, I'm getting like let's just cut it short. Like I'm getting cold. Let's just leave it. Like if you're gonna do it, do it. Like I, I she w- didn't want to linger on any of it. It's like she was just sort of passive to it all. Yeah. Um, but then her trying to escape, but she was too afraid of him and stuff like that, or afraid that it would come back to haunt her and she would get caught and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. then she, like the narrator described, she wanted to just kill him and leave with um, Arvin. She was like, that's what she was going to do at that point. And she only pulled a gun on him because he just killed um, Carl. Mm-hmm. So she, and like they were begging with each other to put the guns down and stuff like that. Neither of them wanted to happen. And then she just, like, that final break, the straw that broke the camel's back type thing. And But she had blanks. And, like, that shook me because, like, obviously we didn't know at that point she had blanks. Like, I thought we could have easily have lost both characters. Yeah, I thought we did. I definitely thought is, we did. Isn't it, like, everyone that believes or has some sort of faith or does any uh, wrong things for the wrong reasons, they all get comeuppance. They all, like, fall short to the devil, as it said. Like, it feels like there's this, like, otherworldly presence seeing it all and leading things, because then you've got, like, Bill Skarsgård's character who, like, does bad things for a good reason, and then he meets his own end. But then Mm -hmm. you have Tom Holland's character, you've got Arvin, who 
he does bad things for a good reason. He's doing it to protect people. He's doing it because he like he thinks he has no other choice. And he's almost being protected by this otherworldly presence. Like when the shotgun goes off at the end mm-hmm. and stuff like that, or her gun had blanks in it. There was multiple times where he should not have made it out. And in any other film, he's been doing bad things. He would be the villain, but he's the protagonist. Yeah, for sure. Like um... I, I loved, I loved the way they played around with like the element of faith and betraying your faith and trying to find faith and everything like that. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, jumping back a moment, I had no idea, and obviously it's it's really obvious now that I think about it, but all the Skarsgårds are the same family, and they're all yeah. flaming actors. I never realised yeah. that, obviously, you know, <laughs> Alexander Skarsgård, Bill Skarsgård, Stellan Skarsgård, uh, Valder Skarsgård, I didn't realise they were all the same... Yeah. Yeah, that's just... Big old acting family. Yeah, big old Swedish acting family. There you go. And they are all... Like, I don't know any of them that are are bad actors or actresses. No, yeah, yeah. Like, they are all fantastic. Um, Also, one last thing while it's on my brain as well. Like, it's just come to me now. You know when Arvin first gets the pistol? Mm Mm-hmm. So he gets the pistol and it's like, oh, this is your dad's pistol. I feel like it... That's the shot from the trailer, isn't it? Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, he, he would have wanted you to have it and sort of thing, and it it puts him on the journey to like bring closure to his family and stuff like that. Like it was him receiving the pistol that sort of put that on the on the lines. Mm-hmm. But his uncle that gives it him, he was just there like, oh, I've never been wanting for like a pistol. It's a shotgun that will like uh, like that won't see you wrong. And then at the end, it's the pistol versus the shotgun. Mm, yeah, and true. at that range, like the shotgun should have killed him any day, but it's like, like I said, this otherworldly presence, like it hit the tree stump instead. Uh, like yeah. both times that he ended up killing people in, like, sort of self defense at the end, that like might not have. Oh, well, you, you could say they deserved it, but like these characters that you thought were going to make it out, like. It almost fakes you out at the same time. You don't know who's died in those situations twice. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And he's made it out of both, and it's like, oh, the shotgun they say up at the beginning, mm-hmm. and everything like that, and whoa, yeah, it's heavy. It's good. It's got a lot of it's got a lot of imagery and recurring things to it. Yeah, like how they're in the car and that you know the that moment where he grips the wheel and times his stuff right. Um, you know, the the guy who say you know, who found um Arvin after his dad had killed himself and you know, that moment again where they meet Well Like there's a there's a real emphasis on human kindness in this and it's not like the people who think that the Lord is gonna watch over them and stuff like that are the people that meet the unfortunate ends. Um whereas the I think it's Obviously, written by somebody who might have questioned the faith in, like, in their own lives, and like they've seen that it's the small acts of human kindness that do the best in the world, rather than maybe organized religion that can lead people down the darker routes. Like, like we've seen with priesthood and stuff like that, it often leads to the wrong sort of people being in power and stuff. Big topics. Big topics. mm. Yeah, so, um, yeah. like, the people who don't follow this but act out of kindness are the ones that... Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Well, Also, do you want to talk about that bit in the barn again? Because we haven't talked about that. Yeah, uh, wow. Woof. Woof. What a uh, 
what a moment where you think, yeah, all right. Because the narrate, like I said, the narration's the one that leaves you into that um, false sense. It doesn't sense. give you a second. It's just there, like, oh, yeah, she's going to go kill herself. Oh, wait, no, she doesn't want to kill herself. Wait, shit, she's dead. Wait, she accidentally like, slipped while she was taking the rope off around her neck and then cracks her neck and then, oh, God, and then Arvin finds her and, yeah, doesn't give you a second. Like, that, like you said, like, it's almost darkly comedic, but in, like, in a way where, like, it's just out of pure shock that you're sort of like, oh, what? Like, oof. That scene, like, hit real hard. I was like, holy shit, like... Yeah. Because I didn't know where the film was going to go after that moment. It's like, literally, like, she was a pure person who was like... And then the fact that it's like, oh, yeah, she's had a realisation. She doesn't want to kill herself, so she starts taking the noose off and then dies. And it's like, holy... Oh, my God. Yeah, that's a heavy scene. Definitely a heavy scene. Uh, Right, look, I think that's all we've got time for this week. I think we're going to have to leave it there. Yeah. But uh, yeah, check it out. Let us know what you thought of The Devil All The Time. Uh, Do you want to give it a quick number rating? What would you give it out of 10? Uh, give it a solid 8 out of 10. Yeah, I was thinking 7.5 to 8, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Um, uh, do you want me to see what it's got online? The score's online. 7.3 on IMDb. 69% on Rotten Tomatoes. Nice. Nice. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like That doesn't seem like a typically high score for it, but... Yeah, it's definitely worth it. Like, it's definitely worth watch. Yeah, defo, defo. You've not got anything. Plus, it was. Uh, I produced, think. I think. Uh, I don't think it's a film for everybody. I plus don't it think was it's a film produced by Jake Gyllenhaal as well. It was, mm-hmm. and it was meant to have Chris Evans in it, but I think he got recast for Robert Patterson because of conflicting schedules. There you go. Uh, right. Oh goodness me! Could you have imagined Chris Evans being that preacher? Woof. <laughs> Woof. It might have been that, or it might have been the Sebastian Stan character, maybe, or the Bill Skarsgård character. It would have been one of those three characters, I think. Yeah. Right, cool. Yeah. Um, make sure you check us out. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all the good places where you can follow us, chat with us, support us, uh, give us a share on your socials, just so you know you can hit us up at Get Real Pod across all the socials. And if you want to send us an email, it's getrealpoduk at gmail.com. Uh, Chris, how can people find and support the podcast? The best way to support the podcast is share us with people. We keep saying this week in, week out. Share us on your Instagram story. Tell two friends about us. Like, just tell your mum about it. Tell your dad about it. Tell somebody that likes films. Just tell a fellow cinephile about the podcast. Like, especially with this episode, it is an episode for cinephiles, clearly. Um, uh, Podchaser. Podchaser is the name of the service. If you leave us a rate and review on that, it will syndicate it to all the other podcast networks so your review will go live on everything. That is literally the best place to put your rate and review. Also, follow us on Spotify, follow us on YouTube, uh, leave a rate and review on the Apple iTunes if you don't want to do it on Podchaser. But just any sort of review, any sort of share, get other people listening to us. The more listeners we get, the more we can put in for you guys to listen to. Very good, cool. Uh, next week we're going to chat the first half of season two of The Boys. It'll be a first impressions episode. So if you want to hit that up, you're not going to have any spoilers for the end of The Boys. Uh, but you know, if you like, if you were a bit on the fence about season one, you're not too sure whether to jump in on season two. Come check it out. 
a nice little short snappy episode on that so excited for episode five tomorrow so excited so excited if you clearly can't tell it's definitely worth a watch but anyway uh, we'll chat all about that next week Uh, in the meantime stay safe wash your damn hands and we'll see you next time (laughs) you're nasty you're nasty (laughs) bye